I just wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, which are the folks at LendInvest. Uh, they're a P2P lending platform focused on uh, the property lending industry in the UK. Um, they just uh, broke 100 million pounds in money invested. Uh, we just had their uh, founder on, Christian Faze, about a month ago. A lot of our borrowers are individuals that are sort of, that's what they do. They buy flats, they renovate them, and they sell them on. And, you know, they make a very good living doing that. Yeah. It's a, a really cool business. It's a fascinating niche they have. Uh, you can kind of uh, get some pretty good returns on kind of bridge loan financing for kind of UK property in London. So uh, a big thanks to those guys. You can find out more on LendInvest.com. In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's the same studio, but it's not just tech. Uh, I was just telling Ben about uh, celebrity astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Tim Ferriss from the 4-Hour Everything. And uh, this week, we've got the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Mr. Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, I spent like some time with him uh, about a week ago, and it was a really fantastic interview. He's been on Oprah. So, I mean, have you guys been on Oprah? Was his book? Right. No, it's not yet. This is <laughs> yeah. the stepping stone. Was, was his book on her book club? Uh, I don't even know if she had a book club. I think okay. this is like in the 90s. Even right. that's when Oprah was big. Right. So, you right. know, on top of that. So I was pretty impressed by that. Um, so anyways, you can check that out at LondonReal.tv. But today, of course, we're here to talk tech. My co-host is Colin Pyle. Uh, you're uh, making wonderful coffee, Crew Cafe. You're in Herod soon. Give us an update. Yeah, things things are good. I'm just exhausted. So, you know, I feel like I did when I was 12 and going through a growth spurt. It's like like that. Just just tired, man. Things are busy. So, first delivery in Harrods today. Uh, so it was a cool experience just dropping off, going down, dropping off our coffee in Harrods. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's a real accomplishment for us. So, we're really excited about that. And otherwise, the intense blend came out this week. So, for all you people that love a slap across the face, 12, 13 strength. Oh, we yeah. finally have it. Look at you guys. Man. So, so we're ready. So check it out. Awesome, man. Cool. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let's get on with the show. Our guest today is Mr. Ben Holmes, who is a partner at Index Ventures, a multi-stage international venture capital firm based in London, San Francisco, and Geneva. Uh, since 1996, uh, you've teamed up with over 140 companies in 38 countries, uh, employing over 25,000 people, uh, and looking for an additional about 2,000 uh, people on your website with job openings. Not that I'm looking for a job. Um, uh, this year, in the last 12 months, Seven of uh, your company uh, companies have exited for over $1 billion. Uh, currently, 11 are valued over $1 billion. Uh, those are serious numbers. Uh, ben, your companies include Dropbox, Just Eat, King, Skype, and SoundCloud. Uh, you joined Index in 2002. Uh, That's right. Your primary focus is uh, games and e-commerce? Exactly. So, uh, okay. So- I'll, I'm almost going to introduce you a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, you have, uh, you've managed King, uh, Playfish, which was acquired by EA, Mind Candy, 
guys that'll just eat Secret Escapes and Trustpilot. Ben, welcome to Silicon Reel. Thank you for having yeah. me. I appreciate it. Jeez, that might have been the longest intro and maybe the most impressive as well. So. I mean, there's a lot. And I dropped a lot of names there. <laughs> thank, you know? thank you. They're not all my personal investments. Okay. So <laughs> so, so, some of them are mine, uh, but many of them are my esteemed colleagues from Index. You know, you tweeted out before you came over here that you're going to lift the lid on some VC secrets. Um, I can't wait. You know, we have a, a lot of entrepreneurs that watch this show. And to many of them, you know, VCs are these kind of untouchable, these like all-knowing deities that kind of live somewhere else and that kind of determine the success or failure of a company with like a single email, you know, especially index. You guys have one of the best names in the business in, in London for sure. And internationally, you know, when Saul Klein talks, I listen. And I was just wondering if you could lift the lid on what kind of goes on behind the scenes and, and, and what, how you see it from your perspective. Sure. Sure. Well, actually a lot of people get their first sort of insight or perspective on what it must be to be an investor by watching programs like uh, Dragon's Den and, <laughs> and so on. And, and I'd say the first thing I would, I would say, which is really different about our industry uh, from what you might perceive watching those programs, is it's actually about being a nice person and, uh, and not being a nasty person and not trying to denigrate people. So, so uh, all the entrepreneurs that we work with, every single one who we works with, gets multiple, multiple offers of, of, of financing. So, so, so rarely are we, are we the barrier between a successful entrepreneur and getting financing. And actually, the one thing that people probably misunderstand is that we have to sell extremely, extremely hard to get into the deals. It's not an academic exercise about thinking, mm, I believe that one or that one is the right one to go for. Often, many of the VCs have come to the same conclusions about what are the exciting themes and who within those themes are the exciting entrepreneurs to back. And the way you really uh, ultimately generate good performance for your investors and hopefully win the deals is just by trying to be a nice guy and persuading the entrepreneur, A, that, that he, the people who he's giving 20% of his company to are going to be nice guys to work with and that you're going to help them grow the company and just not be a pain in the ass. So, so that's really, really important. And uh, uh, that's the thing that we really, really strive, strive to, to ensure. Yeah, the word humble is used on their website. Not a word you would expect on, you know, from the VC perspective, but I guess it is a misunderstood industry, right? Am I, am I speaking out of term when saying that's an impression? Or do you hear that a lot? Are you constantly explaining I, this? Well, listen, I think particularly in the UK, I think in the US it is, it's better understood by the man on the street what venture capital is. And I think in UK, unfortunately, I think for many people it's, it's mixed in with, with uh, associations of vulture capitalists, of kind of Gordon Gecko type characters. And there's a massive, massive difference between being a venture capitalist and being a sort of a buyout investor. A buyout investor, they're buying the whole company. So the only thing that the person who's selling the company, as it were, cares about is the size of the check. So it, once you're in a buyout industry, the, the key skill you need to have is being very, very, very good at spreadsheets to analyze the target company in as much detail as possible and understand whether you can, uh, you know, who you can hire and who you can fire and so on. Whereas venture, you know, the entrepreneurs, they're staying in there. They're, 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 there, they're there for another 5, 10, 20 years, right? And they're, they're thinking about, uh, yeah, who they want to have with them uh, along for the ride. So, so, so the premium on being successful is, as I said, it's about, it's about, uh, it's about you know, creating a good bond with the entrepreneur and, and persuading them to take your money. You, uh, you wrote an article, uh, What Index Looks for an Investment, you know, and I was wondering if you could just break down some of those points you know, of what you do look, look for, because I think a lot of people have no idea. So, so I, I like to use acronyms, partly because I've got a bad memory and it helps me. So on this one, I actually have my three T's. 
which is team, technology, and traction. So, uh, and, and I suspect that's a similar sort of set of, set of uh, characteristics that other people would look, like, look for. So team, and is it a team that have done stuff before, or is it a team that have not done stuff before, but have some magical element to them which make you, makes you feel they're going to do something amazing? Uh, traction, uh, is, is, is there, are there visible signs that, uh, that people are engaging with the product or service which, which, uh, which um, the, the entrepreneur is trying to sell? And technology, is there something unique and proprietary uh, uh, which gives their business a, 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 or makes their business hard to replicate? And often when you get business plans, people try to sort of, they try to shoot for, for being kind of B plus, A minus across all three. They try and say, listen, I've got a, quite a good team, quite an interesting technology and a little bit of traction. And actually it's almost more interesting to us where there's a massive asymmetry. Either it's incredible traction, but with a team that, frankly, are very immature and don't have expertise, or it's a, a wonderful technology. I certainly remember the first time that I you know, used, did a Skype call back in, in, in 2000, and uh, must have been three or four, immediately got in touch with the company. I could just see that that was a, a technology that could change the world. And sometimes, yeah, we do back teams just with a business plan uh, um, and nothing else, nothing built. Uh, just a guy with an idea, but we've got real confidence in, in that individual. So, as I say, we, we, those are the three elements we look for, but we're very happy to invest where there's, a, you know, where there's a, an awful lot that's not evident yet when we invest. And indeed, I think, uh, think about in the, just in London in the last uh, 12 months, I think we've done 30 investments where we were the first sort of money, uh, serious money into a company. So often, very often, there's, there's, it is just a team that you're backing. 30 investments, and is that um, seed stage? or It's any? across multiple stages, across okay. multiple stages. So we, we have a venture fund which does seed and Series A, and, and, and that can be as little as a few hundred thousand uh, uh, in, invested in companies. And then we've actually got a growth fund, which is uh, also investing in the same sort of areas and themes, but can deploy bigger amounts of capital where there's some degree of proof around uh, how a product or service is, is, is getting on. So usually, usually 15, 20 million in revenue. I was wondering, um, uh, a few of, I don't know if they're your competitors or people in the space in America, uh, the guys at Y Combinator say no single founders. Do you agree or disagree with that? Um, I certainly think um, it's great if you can have a technical founder and a non-technical founder. Uh, um, and, and if you just had to have one, I'd rather have a technical founder uh, who, who had some some ability to, to, to grasp commercial fa- commercial aspects. I think that that is pretty important. I won't say we never do that, but if you're if if you're a um, you know if you're a bright young person out there without a technical background who's thinking about doing a doing a startup, definitely I would say you know try to get yourself as technical a background as you can. And there's loads of tools and services out there now which will educate you and help give you a grasp of, of some technical fundamentals. But I would actually try and find a technical co-founder. Uh, it will make your life much easier. And do you get worried when people don't have a team, as in maybe they can't attract a team? Well, it, it, it is a good proxy. You know, being an entrepreneur is about selling your idea. And I guess the first people as an entrepreneur you have to sell your idea to, even before you probably pitch up at, your VC, at, the, at a VC or an angel investor, is, is prospective team members. And, and usually, yes, you're, you're, you're persuading those guys to take a, a big salary cut to, uh, to work long hours. So, so, so it, it, it's a very, very good proxy indicator, yes. 
you know, you mentioned Skype and uh, something Peter Thiel says is that the te- the, it has to be 10 times better than the competition, you know, when he looks at a startup. And you mentioned Skype, which is probably a, a factor on top of that. Is that something you look at, some kind of factor like that, or is it not that quantitative yeah i mean the the biggest the biggest sort of uh, venture returns and the most successful kind of companies in the tech ecosystem they're usually either either causing some disruption in an industry or uh, or, or, or taking advantage of some disruption which is happening anyway in the industry and 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 uh, i mean in the case of skype it, it, it was infinitely better because it was free telephony so so i think free or free is always a very very uh, a very very compelling proposition for consumers, and, and and we've we've done many investments both on the enterprise side, open source software, where there's a, essentially people are giving software away for or writing code and, and distributing it through the open source community for people to use for free, and they've built fantastic business models on that. Down to the games businesses where we invest in, where generally the freemium business model there is very powerful. So, on a cost perspective, I'd say the the best thing I'd love to see on a on if you're in, in your proposition is to have a have a large element of your product or service available for free interesting and the last part of that is uh ben horowitz is a big fan of, uh, of founders becoming the ceos uh, are you in one mind about that or is every situation different uh, uh well the, the best outcome is yes if you if you if you can back a founder and they they can they can stay with the company and and and, and develop and learn and carry the vision of that company all the way through and and, and i don't think it's any surprise that the, the three four five biggest uh, um tech returns generally fit that characteristic with google and facebook um there are other businesses where 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 for whatever reason it does make sense to get more experienced sort of commercial uh people in uh where you've got a very very technical founder who's 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 taken a business that far but but uh, we don't make those we you know we just want to back great ideas. We don't. We, at the time we're doing investments, uh, if it's a good idea with a passionate team, we're not thinking ahead to what's the right management for that company in five years' time. We're really just trying to trying to trying to help the management that's that's there when 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 we get involved. It always sounds good in theory, but I always think like a company's growing in some strange way, and then a person is growing in a strange way, and you know, getting those to line up in five years' time always seems always unlikely. But like you said, the big ones have done it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I think the also also I think one of one of the uh, one of the reasons maybe that people may have felt that you needed to have a you know serious management come in, uh, I'd, I'd say that people's perceptions have changed, and, and in, whether it's public market institutions who are going to invest in a company once it's public, or whether it's later stage investors, I think they're getting more and more comfortable that they that they will if they want to be having great returns on their investments, they're going to have to be investing in young people who don't don't fit the mold of what they might have traditionally thought of as a, you know, a, a, a businessman. And see, like the way to market is constantly changing so quickly. So, you know, for me, like a product, developing a product, you know, in five years time, if a big guy maybe come in who's built an international logistics business, it, you know, things may have changed from when they were, they were doing it. So unless you poach someone from a c- competitor, um, then, then, you know, having someone else might be a negative right? I think yeah in, in all sorts of areas related to where where we invest the half-life on experience is very short and getting shorter and shorter right. particularly if you take something like marketing you know would someone who you know been a senior marketeer for the last 30 years you know what would they know about getting your app up the app store or the CPI cost on, on a certain game or product I think I think the 
definitely around the distribution uh, economics and marketing systems which are used to make companies successful these days, as well as the technology platforms which are used, uh, and even the organizational structures which are, which are behind successful companies. Just there's so much innovation in those sectors that it's difficult for us as VCs because often the experiences we've had with, with companies that, that have been successful you know, five, ten, or even two, three years ago may be outdated. Uh, uh, so yeah, I guess that's why it's a young person's industry, and it's it's always it's a it's a privilege to get exposure to to to, to all those changes and dynamics. Can we talk about Just Eat? Because you're in a perfect position to kind of give us maybe a case study. Uh, it obviously went public this year uh, very successfully. I was wondering if you could tell us, take us back to when you first heard about the company and when you first got involved, and how you kind of brought it, you know, from Denmark out into the world. Yeah. No, so, so, so we, we became aware of it. it. It had been in Denmark, I think, for about three, four years and, and had basically had been running on an absolute shoestring. And the original founders, they, were, uh, they had a background in field sales. So I think that many of them had kind of worked in nightclubs and, and, and uh, had been bouncers on, in places like that. So they were brilliant at like signing up restaurants and explaining to, to uh, the independent owner of a takeaway store why, why the internet was the future for him and why he should sign up, which in 2001, uh, persuading a guy running a kebab shop that, that, that the internet is the way forward would have been a hard sell, and they managed to do that. And they spent, they spent as little as they possibly could on technology, as little as they possibly could. So when we came in, they just started in the UK, um, uh, and, and we're getting decent traction with some of the restaurants, but it was still a, a tiny, tiny business. I think hundreds of orders per night uh, when, when we first invested it back in 2008, nine. Um, and I think the interesting thing uh, uh, then was the general business model about connecting small local merchants of, of whatever type it was to the internet that wasn't as in vogue as it is now. Now you've, you've clearly got Uber and uh, uh, we've had Groupon and all sorts of businesses which have had that broad business model have, have been extremely sort of, or have got extremely large on the back of it. Back then it was not that fashionable. And actually I, think, I don't think in, in the original round where we invested there was, there was enormous VC appetite for this. And I, I certainly think a lot of VCs would have looked at it, gone onto the website, sort of searched and found that it didn't have their local Mayfair sushi bar on it and said, this can't be, a, this can't be any good if it doesn't, have a, it doesn't have this sushi place on it. But in practice, it was one of those phenomenon which didn't really, didn't, you know, you have two different types of internet company or internet companies. Some kind of start with the tech community and gradually filter through to Main Street. But you do have many others that, start with the average Joe in the street and actually it's the, it's the tech community in a way who hears about them last uh, and Just Eat probably fitted that category. We, was, we were just we were seeing lots of young students really love the service and, and, and use it and for them it was a real treat to, to once every uh, couple of weeks order a takeaway to their house um, and, and uh, uh, Just Eat was enabled them to, to, to do that so um, it, just, it, it just seemed at the time it just seemed uh, uh, seemed like a long shot, uh, but it seemed possible that there would be a big shift away from picking up the phone and ordering to using using the internet. And, and I think that was probably before the mobile phone really became, or the, the iPhone was becoming a popular platform. Obviously now everyone, everyone expects to use their phone as the remote control for their whole life. They expect to order their cabs on it, order their lunch on it order their cleaners on it and all sorts of uh, 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 aspects of their life they expect to manage. But Just Eat was one of the earlier companies in that, in that theme. Uh, so, yeah, so we, we took a punt. Um, 
there was a lot of things that uh, got fixed in the period after we invested. There was a new marketing director who came on board who eventually got them to do TV advertising, which was a great, uh, proved to be a great, um, great return on investment for the company. The technology platforms were, 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 were fixed, so they didn't, uh, they didn't fall down every evening uh, when people were trying to order the takeaways. And gradually, it's you know, it's, it's been a classic journey from from small, scrappy startup to uh, you know, very um, successful, efficient, well-run public company. Are there any like specific milestones you remember, you know, in 2010 or 11, where you know you were close uh, or something wasn't going well, and then you got some adoption and you know, kind of saved the day? Or any moments you remember in that? I think. Um, well, one anecdote which I think I will remember is 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 when they were when I was first looking at the company, they were showing me the data about uh, the usage patterns, and um, uh, they showed me uh, the usage over Valentine's Day. and And your instinct might be, well, surely on Valentine's Day, everyone's taking out their other half for for a romantic meal at a restaurant. But actually, the, the Just Eat data showed that that was one of the biggest days in the year for them. Uh, and, it, and it proved to me that you know your, your gut instinct about uh, about things isn't always right. Uh, um, and actually, for, for many of, for, for, for many people, it was a, it was a luxurious treat to get a, t- a, a takeaway. Uh, so I think it, it was it was a few snippets like that which made me realise actually this is this could be a real mass market phenomenon. And, and I think once from once we invested, the things that we really pushed for pushed for hard as a board, not just me, but I think all the other board members were, well, you know, we have to get onto mobile. And it turned out there was an awful lot of tech debt that had to be uh, uh, sort of paid down before we could ultimately uh, uh, refocus on, on getting the product launched on mobile. But that was one of the, I think, when I first was able to order on a dedicated app, um, that, that was a great moment for me. Because I think when you're on a website, there's always the fear that Google could eat your lunch, as it were, literally, almost literally <laughs> yeah. in this case. Because if, peop- if people are, are thinking, oh, I need you know, take away, take away, even if they maybe remember Just Eat, they often go to Google and they'll you know, type in takeaway Derby. Uh, uh, and you always risk that someone else might get in because of SEO or because they're spending on SEM. Whereas once you've actually got the app on someone's phone, then you really own that consumer response. And I think that's... That's really the that's the new battleground in the internet now. It's really owning uh, a particular consumer response, and I guess Uber is was I guess it's sort of doing it a little bit for taxis now, and maybe even broader sort of tra- set of travel services. And I think uh, if Just Eat is going to be ambitious and be successful going forwards, that they, they probably need to think about trying to own the the, the idea of fo- of food or eat or eating. So I think that's that's the direction they're they're, they're heading. I'm sure. Uh, um, but yeah, the, I, th- I think I felt a lot safer once I, I saw they had the app out and I saw the traffic started to shift from, from, from uh, the internet or, or the PC to the, to, the, to the phone. Is that something you're always worrying about in your portfolio companies that Google coming in and just making everything free and just you know, launching some product that just blows things out of the water? I, I mean, they're a fantastic, they're a fantastic company uh, and... and uh, I'd argue a large part of the value of Google is their brand, and they have a brand that's associated with search. And just, just as I was saying, they own the consumer response for search, and obviously they're distributed in loads of different endpoints uh, uh, where you can you know, type into a Google search box. And, and uh, it does give them an enormous amount of data. Uh, they can, they can, they know exactly which companies are, are doing well, they, and they understand exactly the kind of 
the customer acquisition flows across many, many industries. Um, and I think, yeah, that you know, you have seen in things like travel, where you type in a travel search, and increasingly, before you get to the generic Google search listings, there's increasingly, you know, there's there's bespoke Google customized code which spews out airline, you know, flights and timetables, and and they're doing that in lots and lots of different areas. So, so I do think that's a, a threat to many startups, uh, which is why, as I said, I think I think the app ecosystem represents a challenge to Google and probably a safer home for successful startups than the than the browser-based internet interesting you said pay down technology debt is that a kind of a term that people use in the industry what did you mean by that uh so so i guess when you're a startup when you're a startup you you try and do everything on the cheap uh, um and that's that's what you're often what you're forced to do um and 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 that's 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 what you have to do to scale often and uh, eventually uh, uh, stuff builds up, uh, and, and your you know your throughput increases, and the and the and the technology choices that you've made, and the the uh, uh, the limitations on scaling that you may have introduced by making uh, kind of uh, shortcuts uh, in the early stages of the company have to get resolved. And actually, that's you know that's in a sense being being uh, thinking about VC industry. That's actually quite a, a, a good reason for for firms at, at one stage to get to get a VC involved because often actually we do see a trajectory of company the revenues may ramp up 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 and then the revenues flatten out for a year or so whilst the company is really uh, sorting out all its systems before it can really reaccelerate particularly uh, if 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 a company is wanting to go international often you, you know they'll need to have a a more sophisticated uh, uh, technology platform to operate in multiple countries and multiple currencies and so on and and often the the product that they that they launched on is not the right one so i guess that's what i what i mean by paying down technical debt it's an interesting way of thinking like about a company when you make a decision it's either an asset or or a liability and if you're skimping on tech it might it'll later become a liability that you have to pay off and i think i've heard management debt being used the same way if, if you well if you run your employees into the ground then you're and you have to pay them somehow in the future with something right 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 yeah absolutely rewarding teams is is critical in the paying off the the technology debt is that often where you just kind of take one of your like really technical expertise guys that maybe you've used before and drop them in for six months and do a complete reboot yeah of, of yeah well so uh, absolutely actually when we invest in companies you know there, there are some people at index ventures who've got more technical expertise than others uh, we've got a partner in in the u.s mike volpe who worked a long long time at cisco and is, is knows an awful lot about various swathes of the technology technology stack and there are other people more generalists or uh, if you're being honest, amateurs like me who know who know less, um, uh, so we do rely heavily on on, on external advisors that to, you know not, usually not paid guys, just people in in our you know friends, family, and other portfolio execs uh, help us out when we're looking at the technology stacks of companies we're investing in, and also you know we have a very active CTO community across all our portfolio companies who talk about. You know, challenges, whether it be security issues they're facing or whether it be hiring challenges we're facing. So I think there's a broad, broad range of people who help us think about tech and, and post, post investing, there's quite a, an active community of, of, of support that we sort of uh, coordinate for, our, for the tech, tech teams in our portfolio companies. When you're pushing Just Eat to kind of go mobile, I mean, how, how do you do that when you say only own 20% of a company or 20-some percent and you're trying, I mean, ultimately your job, you're a people person, right? Because 
every day you're contacting the company and you kind of kind of suggest the right way to go, but they kind of have to make their own decisions. Yeah, right? and, and that's right. Usually when we first invest in a company, you're right, we, we own 20% and often the founders are left with 80%. So, you know, we, all we can do is make a suggestion and they can, they can sort of listen to us, but they, they, they usually control the balance of the power. And actually what, you know, what tends to happen is even after... You know, they've had two, three, or four financing rounds. So maybe collectively, the investor, you know, the financial investors may own 50, 60, 70 percent, and the founders and employees may end up owning 30 percent. Say, generally, we still want those companies to be run and managed by the founders, and we're not telling them what 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 to do. We're we're giving hints, we're giving advice, we're connecting them to people who might might have uh, helpful input. Um, but we want we want the founders uh, to, to the founders and the management of the company to, to have have the have the decisions, and we we really we're really there to course correct. And as I say, that's another big difference between the sort of the buyout world and the venture world. We're really there to to, to help people who know what they're doing. Whereas I think in the buyout world, it's really about taking control of these assets yourself and imposing your own management and so on. So it is a very nuanced um, it's very nuanced because. You know, often not all the investors are aligned, and 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 winning hearts and minds of, of founders and management is uh, is it's 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 a, it's a it's an important job for any any successful investor to be able to uh, um, yeah to be able to exert influence yet still still remain on on great terms with uh, with with uh, founders and management. And what do you do if a CEO doesn't want to go your way, but you have to keep him in place to run the company? And I mean, how do you resolve that situation? Um, it, it, it happens relatively rarely. It happens relatively rarely. I'm glad. To, uh, I'm glad to say. And actually, I, when I think, you know, of the of the few CEO transitions we've done, usually it's uh, it's been a fairly consensual process, which has got to that, got us to that point. Um, but it's it, it it's it's a difficult. It is a difficult process to, to to get a new a new CEO on board if that's the right thing for the company. Um, and it takes a lot of a lot of a lot of phone calls and a lot of coordination. Yeah, I can see it. In I, your don't, face. I don't want to. I don't want to get too graphic on there. <laughs> and uh, the, now the IPO is done. Is there anything that surprised you about that whole process? Was it more difficult, or was it simpler than you thought it would be? And is that chapter kind of over now with you? Well, and Justin? well, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, all the hard work was done by done by the the, the management there. I'd, I'd say the things that we influenced a little bit with respect to the Justy IPO was um, there had been a, a clause with respect to London, and it was always clear for Justy because they had such a strength of, of business here in the UK. UK that they were going to list in in London, and, and we were very happy with that choice. But actually, at the at the time we started to think about it, if you wanted to list on London, you had to list a twenty five percent for your company, uh, i.e., sell or, or or get diluted down, but to twenty five percent of the company. And all the all the investors in Justy loved the company, didn't particularly want to uh, want to uh, sell down 25% of the company at the stage we went public and actually index with various other people had lobbied the government to introduce this new segment on the London Stock Exchange that you may have read about called the high growth segment where you yeah. can actually list a company with a slightly lower uh, percentage of equity being listed much much more similar to what happens in the US where typically only 10 12 13% of a company is listed and Just Eat was actually the first company that used that high growth company exemption to get onto the London stock market. So we we did play a bit of a role behind the scenes uh, uh, in influencing that change. Uh, in terms of the in terms of the IPO, IPO process, 
it's the same as the base, it's the same as the first pitch you make uh, with your business plan to, to your first angel investor. It's persuading them that it's it's describing the idea very very simply. It's explaining why it's defensible, um, and explaining you know how how you're going to achieve the goals that you you set out for. So so in a sense. Um, the only difference is, you know, when, when, when you do it with a VC, the VC only has very, very limited time and availability to, to check that what you're telling them is, is true. When, whereas when you go public, you've got to tell a compelling, a compelling and simple story. Then you've also got to produce reams and reams and reams of data uh, and numbers and financial financials and audit, audited material to actually get through the hurdle to go public. So that, that is, a, that is a, a quite a big effort for the for the CFO, CFO and his, his, his team. Um, but yeah, basically it's, it's, it's all about telling a story. Um, and, and, and that's what educating founders to be ready to tell that story, uh, is, is, uh, is a key, key part of, key part of getting a company ready for our, for IPO. And we definitely tried to help a lot with that. And, and, that was and, a- and David, the CEO at Just Eat has done a fantastic job, fantastic job at that. And that was a huge success, having a big IPO like that. And I mean, that was, that's big, right? <laughs> it was big. So it was a funny moment for me because, uh, you know, for a long, long time, people had, uh, uh, were criticizing Europe, saying there are no great tech companies that came out of Europe. And every time when we went fundraising and we, we, you know, we, were, we were there like the entrepreneurs are occasionally with cap in hand trying to raise money, a lot of our investors would be kind of say, is Europe really going to produce anything? And, and you know, for 10 years, we'd had to say, listen, we're doing quite well. We've had Betfair, we've had Skype, and we've got these other things that look good. Just trust us, Europe will deliver. And then suddenly we had a kind of a, a real flowering in the last 12 years, where, well, the last 12 months, where an awful lot of these things, like buses, happened at the same time. So, and I remember there was a, a funny moment for me. Um, Just Eat listed, I think, the second week in April, and there was a King listed the first week in April. The King I'd been involved in 10 years ago when we first did that investment. And and there was a critical call, the call that you have the night before IPO, where the bankers, bankers and everyone else goes on the call, they tell you how the roadshow process has gone, gone. they say they were this, time, this many times oversubscribed. And I had that call with Just Eat and then I, with King, and then I had another call related to the Just Eat IPO. Basically, uh, we were going to announce the intention to float the next day. So I had two of these calls, and I just managed to coordinate it so that they, one was after the other. And I was coming back from Stockholm, where I'd been on a business trip, and the only, only way I knew that I could guaranteed to be able to do both these calls was to actually stay the night in the airport hotel in Stockholm and then fly on the next day because I knew if I flew the plane might be delayed and I'd miss these critical calls so I did these two calls one after the other and at the end of the call the bankers said so congratulations your you know your, your company will be listed tomorrow and it's going to be worth x billion on the on the new york stock exchange and then a similar call with just eat and then after that I was just on my own in an airport hotel <laughs> What, what, yeah, walked, up, walked up to the mini bar. It was a kind of surreal and odd, <laughs> right. odd, odd moment for me. It, it should have been the pinnacle of my career, but it was, it, it, uh, it was quite a reflective and, uh, moment. But we did celebrate a little bit uh, a few weeks later once, uh, once Just Eat went out. That's a great story. I love yeah. it. Uh, I want to ask you a question that you love answering, and that is, where is Europe's Silicon Valley? Where is Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley uh, is the question. I, 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 I would respond. Uh, it's a state of mind, isn't that what they say? Um, uh, so what Butcher said, I think the other week. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I think it, it's definitely changed. So I think when, when we first started investing uh, in Europe, um, which was before I joined Index in the, in the 90s, but even when I joined in 2002, um, companies could come from anywhere in Europe and, and, and there was no natural center of gravity. And that made it quite hard to organize events and to put people in touch. So I, I remember uh, if, if there was a CTO who had a question, said, you know, can I talk to another CTO who, uh, who might have encountered this particular challenge before? It usually meant you were kind of putting someone from Spain on a call with someone in you know, Finland or something. Uh, and, and what's really nice now is we do have these sort of clusters, and London definitely, I would say, is the foremost tech cluster. We have these clusters in London, Stockholm, Berlin, I would be the ones I'd highlight, where people can get together in person and have a conversation. So now when we have those similar questions arise, like, as I say, a marketeer who wants to find out, you know, what's, what's people's experience with uh, TV advertising? How do I measure the return on my TV advertising budget? We can arrange a seminar and get like 30 people together, you know, the next morning in or the next week in London. So, so I think having that velocity of communication, which you only really get if you have a nice dense cluster, uh, is really that 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 exists now in a few places in Europe, and and, and that's fantastic. It's, it, it makes uh, for for a VC, it makes it much easier for us to do our job ha- having these clusters. And uh, so those are the cities: Stockholm, Berlin. No, I, I, there's going to be. I'm going to get a lot of grief. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get a lot of grief <laughs> from <laughs> other, other places. Fun. We've had we've had fantastic. I mean. The thing is, many companies, they, the companies still come from anywhere. And, and most of our London companies, uh, when you look at the management, the management's been assembled not just from all over Europe, but from all over the world. So, so I think we, we still expect tech, tech companies to, to spring up throughout Europe. Uh, uh, people have great ideas and people have great technical ability. But yeah, I think we would encourage them generally to, to house themselves in, and grow in one of those those tech clusters if they can. And, and, and Paris is, you know, Criteo, another one of the successful exits, has, has built up a fantastic tech team in Paris. So it, it's not just those three, but I, I certainly think, it, you know, the tech landscape in Europe has become clustered, not diffuse, and that's to its benefit. What's going on in Denmark? I mean, you guys have Just Eat and Zendesk and Milestone Systems and Trustpilot. You know, why Denmark of all places? Do these companies um, come from? Well, I, I guess it, it's... I was going to say there's something wrong, a rotten in Denmark, but I thought I wouldn't go there. <laughs> That's yeah. Hamlet, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I thought it would be too obvious. I didn't know you were a thesp. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's a small country, so I guess, I guess they, they, they have to export pretty quickly. If they want to build a big business, they have to export very quickly. Unlike US, you can't, or even UK or Germany, you can't you can't really build a massive business in, less, in, in many categories unless you expand internationally. And I think the Danes have proven particularly adept at doing that. Um, and the Zendesk guys are fantastic examples of that. You know, had, they had customers from that product from day one th- throughout the world. Uh, and there's good, I think there's a very good education more broadly in the whole Nordics. I'd say there's, there's a... Uh, uh, great technical talent there and maybe if I could contrast those Nordic cultures with the British uh, culture is I think in the UK you have a slightly harder divide between the the, the techies as, as they're kind of uh, rather insultingly called and the business people whereas my uh, reflection on the Nordic culture is that you have a great level of commercial understanding in the, on the, from the technology people and, and a, quite a good level of technical understanding from the commercial people. There's not, there's not these two kind of 
camps, uh, as maybe is the case in, in, in the Anglo-Saxon companies. And I think in certain areas, uh, that's really, really served Nordic companies well. And, and you know, Yelmar Winblad, he runs a company called RAP now, and he's, he's a guy we've invested in before in a, in a company called Rebtel and was successful before in Send It. He's an example of someone who's got a great, great commercial mind, but understands the, techno- the technology with sufficient depth that he can understand what the, what the you know, what, what's possible with the technology shifts that are happening and, and, and uh, what's the, you know, what's that confluence of, of, of you know, where, uh, or what's the, how technology joins up with the commercial aspects of the business to provide a, uh, an opportunity. And I guess Nicholas Zenstrom of Skype was another one who had that, who had that dual understanding of both tech and business in order to build a great, a great success. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess in London, it's kind of... And Daniel Ek, Daniel Ek at Spotify is probably in the, okay. in the same boat and, and, and some of the King founders uh, uh, as well. You know, great, fantastic game developers, but uh, uh, very commercially savvy people as well. Besides um, Index, the European VC returns have been pretty poor. And I was just wondering if you could tell why you think that's true and if you think that might change. Uh, so I think um, the, the three biggest trends around where most of the value in the tech industry have been created the last 10, 15 years, probably, I would say, mobile, social, and cloud. Those are probably the three biggest. And, 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 and the winners, or, the, or the, the platform winners in those three categories have, have, have become U.S. companies. I guess you've got sort of Apple and Facebook, and, and I guess in, in cloud, you've got Amazon and arguably Dropbox to, uh, as, as emerging winners there. So I, I think if you, if you can be the platform company of, uh, when there's a real technology shift happening, you, you, know, you can deliver astonishing returns as, as Facebook have. Um, and, and, and yes, those are, those are U.S. companies. Uh, and I think the, the question really is, you know, will Europe ever produce one of those? And uh, you know, we're thrilled to have kind of got on the first rung of the ladder and have a few companies that are getting out for you know, three, four, five, six billion. And we absolutely, as a, as a venture capitalist, have an aspiration that we want to invest in companies that can be worth 20, 30, 40 billion. And if we're going to have that success, it's pretty clear to me they, they have to be the companies which are basically the anchor, that they're the anchor platforms in some new platform shift which is occurring. Uh, and I think there's a fantastic chance that Europe could, could produce one of those. And, and, and uh, you know, that, that's the reason we're here. And that's the reason our investors invest in us, by the way. I think they, you know, they're delighted that we've got good, good returns on our funds generally. And they're very pleased that finally we have delivered on our promise and, 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 and got some great returns. But the reason they're investing in us is not because they want us to create billion-dollar companies. They want us to create $10, $20 billion companies. And you just, you just keep yourself in business by creating a billion dollar companies uh, uh, and the only reason you want to stay in business in the VC game is to create a really, really, really big company and, and I, I honestly think Europe will produce one and uh, I just hope I'm, 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 I'm here and involved <laughs> when it happens. And not alone in an airport? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got a good chance of it. Um, you know, Marketplace is something you kind of specialize in obviously with Just Eat and then uh, Auto Butler is going to be next and we've seen the market face, Marketplace factor kind of go with Uber and things like that and I was just wondering if you could give us your thoughts on what makes a good market place i know you've talked about more uh more acronyms of p's and c's but you know a lot of people are trying to get into the marketplace business and i was just wondering how you view it at index yeah so uh it is a great business model um 
usually, obviously, it's the, 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 the value you create is through a network effect. It's obvious, it almost goes without saying. And, and, and there's re often relatively little technology or relatively simple technology you need to launch one of these marketplace businesses. That's interesting because I think a lot of people think it's, it's very tech-driven or new tech-driven. Well, I, you know, the, the four pillars of value creation in, 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 are basically sort of technology. You know, if you create a product which someone can't replicate, their scale effects, and Amazon's the example of that, you just get so big that you're more efficient at what it is, shift, shifting boxes or bits than anyone else. Uh, or network effects, and the last one I'd say is brand. And you know, and, and, and I'd say more of the businesses we, we've invested in are, are really predicated these days on on network effects and brand. And, and the, the funny thing about it is, as I say, you you know, I think there's even a company out there called which effectively gives you the the platform that Uber essentially has, but you can apply it to different marketplace business models. So I think you can certainly get launched quite quickly. But the, the challenge is, because it's relatively easy to copy, there's, there's a strategic imperative to grow extremely fast. Um, and, and that's why, Google, why Uber's obviously raised a vast amount of money uh, and expanded into many international markets very, very quickly, because you have to win the network effect war in every single market. And, and there's an interesting story there. I spoke to the CFO at Just Eat, and I said, you know, how much did we actually burn through as a company before we went public? And he, 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 he worked out it was something like 25 million pounds, which is relatively little. Yeah. And I think that's just because the people hadn't cottoned on to this network effect model. And there's actually another business in the food delivery space called Delivery Hero. It started a few years later than Just Eat, and it's the leading company in Germany. And I think they've raised 600, 700 million wow. to get to probably not quite as big as Just Eat now. And it just that just shows how how much people have realized that you know, it is a winner-take-all market in these in these marketplace businesses, and you need to raise a lot of capital quickly to expand very, very fast. So, so uh, I, the question was around what what uh, what do we look for in marketplace businesses? I think, but um, yeah, I think we look for a fragmented market, uh, and it's, it's another acronym: fragmented market and frequency. Ideally, if it's a if it's a product or service you use frequently, as as Just Eat is, and as a as uh, uh, you know, Uber or the travel services are it. Uh, uh, those are usually good good things for for a marketplace business. Okay, and the P's and C's, the three P's and three C's. Yeah, come to no, I, I have to. I, I did write something about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, they, don't, they don't spring to mind, but I don't, I don't have them down here. But um, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have, so I, I'll have to look up that blog post again. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it made sense at the time, but uh, you'll have to. Is, is it a tough space we'll, to we'll be in? We'll link to the blog post. Yeah, yeah. please yeah. Do, yeah. stick a link to the blog post. Yeah. And so it's yeah. just it is just a war for that network effect at the end of the day, and 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 so just having the tech isn't enough. I mean, you really have to pile the resources in uh, yeah. to be a good marketplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have. I mean, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're the, the you. It, it is a classic chicken and egg. You you can't get service providers on unless, or they won't be bothered to join unless you can drive the consumer traffic, and and vice versa. You know, you can't drive the consumer traffic unless you've got a good set of service providers in in place. So you have to constantly sort of keep the two sides of the equation, build them up, sort of in sync, so everyone's happy and there's not oversupply or undersupply. Uh, so that's you know managing that managing that uh, balance is can be a challenge, um, and, and expanding quickly is really really important. Uh, um, yeah. 
Yeah, what a war, huh? <laughs> your, your recent fund, I think, is 400 million euros. You're investing it kind of globally, and it's not restricted to Europe or restricted to the U.S., which I think is fairly unique. Is that the way that capital is going to be deployed in the future? Um, so, so probably about 60% will go into European companies and 35-40% will go into US companies or there or thereabouts. We don't have hard limits. Uh, most of the other VC funds that invest um, uh, you know, transatlantic often have separate pockets of money, but we have the same pocket of money. Um, which doesn't mean we're, you know, always when we're investing in a company, we're trying to find, you know, what can be the global winner in a category, not just the local winner. Uh, so if, you know, if we, if we believe in a particular area that that's a, a U.S. company and we've got a particular access or, or ability to invest in that company, we will, we will back a, Europe, a, a U.S. player. Um, but we, we really, you know, obviously there's a strong venture ecosystem in, in the U.S. already and, and, and uh, the, the, the reason our LPs back us is to find great tech companies out of Europe primarily. Are, are you guys in Asia at all or invested so, in any companies that are big markets out there? Yeah, so we, uh, we, we realize it's, it's an increasingly uh, uh, important question and, and through many of the investments we make, it rapidly becomes a very important market. So, so for Criteo, for, for, for uh, uh, King, you know, Asia has been a very, very large part of their, of their business. We're not sourcing uh, investments out there. I think we, you, know, we need to ha- you need to have uh, local talent. And, and uh, my sense is, you know, we, we, if, if, if we're investing in a, in a company in China, we're, we're probably, they've probably caught, spoken to a lot of other people before they've uh, spoken to us, I'd suspect. So no, we're not generally doing that. Uh, I think maybe four or five years, that will be something, if we're successful uh, at doing what we're doing now, that might, might be something we, re- we revisit then. Fair enough. I was wondering what you think it takes to, to be a good VC, to do what you do. You know, I come from the city. We both come from finance world. And a lot of those guys were like, I can do what he does. You just yeah. raise some capital, you know, put some bets out or whatever. But I'm assuming it's not that easy, of course. What do you think makes a good VC? What qualities? Uh, to, to go back to the point I made at the beginning, I think, I think it's being a nice, a good person. You, you, you generally win deals not by uh, you generally get good performance not by outsmarting other VCs but but by outfriending them um, and 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 uh, winning entrepreneurs hearts and minds and and that, that was there was a you know good story around just eat about why they did choose ultimately to go with with uh, with index where, specifically where I think one of the other VCs really uh, ruffled their feathers so so it, it uh, you know, it, it does. That, that's first and foremost. That's that, that's the the key thing. Obviously, having a strong view about themes. What you know, what are going to be the trends which influence and influence how uh, yeah, which create the opportunities that where, where you can invest. That's that's important. And having a good filter so you can you know fairly quickly uh, make a you know make a first cut guess as to you know what's where it's worth spending time and effort and where it's not that's important but that's a i'd say i'd say the filtrations is is a it's a necessary skill set but not necessarily a differentiating one the differentiating one is being able to to do the deals that you want to do and being able to help the companies that 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 you that you back because every you know whenever uh, whenever uh, an entrepreneur is thinking about taking money from us, they immediately call around all the other entrepreneurs we've worked with in the past, 
you know, ones who have been successful working with index and ones who have not been successful working index. They, they take their references just in the same way we, we do. And whatever your financial performance is, if your references are bad, you're finished in the industry. So, so we actually, you know, we chase, we chase reference above, above financial returns. Um, because we, we, think that, we think that's the long-term, um, uh, that's what makes you successful long-term in this industry. Makes sense. That's the last thing I would have expected you yeah, know, to hear. Yeah, absolutely. That is about that you know, relationship. And I guess it's a lot, such a long-term game as well. You're going to be with these people for a long time. And yeah, yeah p- particularly if you know, the, the tech goes in cycles. And, and when, you're, you know, when you're in an up cycle, you, know, you might be investing, investing and, and divesting in companies in one or two years. But if you're investing across the trough, you might be with that entrepreneur for eight, nine years. So King, a good example. I think we first invested in 2000 four or five um, before Facebook, before Apple, or before the iPhone. And they had to navigate all these different technology transitions. Um, so, yeah, you, know, you don't know how long the relationship's going to be. So, so it, it, it's a little bit like a marriage, except that you're lucky as a VC, you can have multiple, uh, multiple relationships. <laughs> I guess it must be a little bit different depending on what level of investment the VC is doing. So for you, often, you know, you might be investing in companies that are already doing pretty well, mm-hmm. whereas, uh, you know, your venture fund, it might be a lot more, you know, less maybe being a nice guy because at that stage, often the entrepreneurs are grabbing at you regardless of anything and they might have to make a bigger bet i guess yeah so so there are certainly deals we we target we want to get to a 20 percent ownership or what we call a a significant but minority ownership in companies and obviously where that's the case we try and exert more influence but and there have been deals where you know we're not able to get up to that level of ownership because the company you know races away in its performance and they don't need more funding and we may only end up with five or six percent so yeah you you naturally you act differently depending on you know whether you're on the board or whether you're an observer or whether you're not even uh, an observer and are just helping out a little bit more from the sidelines so but generally we like to be as as involved as as, as we can and as helpful as we can i just want to know uh, uh for all the people that are listening out there that want to know what's the best way and how do they contact a vc you know when you talk about the filtration process what, what do you want to see when people contact you and what don't you want to see well uh, uh so i think i think within each vc firm there's usually uh some degree of specialization or some some partners and associates who are more interested in certain areas so it's definitely worth spending some time on the uh, on the website or, or at conferences finding out who who who's interested in what sectors uh, so that when you send an email in or whether you whether you try to set up a meeting you're not just spamming it to everyone in the firm that you know a rifle shot's always a better approach than a, a, a shotgun when you're reaching out to a vc so both choose which vcs are the relevant ones to talk to and which people in the vc are the best ones to try and build a contact with and the other one is building a contact i think um other vcs have written out written uh, about this extensively and, and i think one of them said you know the relationship you know vcs like to invest in lines not points i think was the expression so if you if you can create a, a relationship with a vc and somehow create some meeting before you're asking him for his for, for, for money him or her for money that's great so so it is worth attending the conferences it is worth you know following the blogs and commenting on what people are saying and so that so that there's some history already there of a relationship with that you've got with uh, with, with 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 a venture capital firm and and, and uh, investor before you come to that critical kind of pitch moment um, 
Good advice. Good advice. And then be well rehearsed when they do pitch. And how but do you be, feel? Be on it. I mean, be well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Be, I mean, I'd say just be, be honest and, and strike the right balance between uh, um, humorous a bit. Sometimes we'll say stuff and, and, and listen. It'll probably be uh, wrong, but smile nicely. But I think that what, what we want to what we want to understand a little bit when we when we um, have meetings with people, we absolutely want them to be visionary and have real passion for what they're for what they're doing. But we also want them to be able to listen. And it's not necessarily that what we've got to say to them in that meeting is a, a pearls of wisdom uh, or even good ideas that we might have for them. They might be bad ideas, but if if, if they've got no ability to to listen, whether it's to us or anyone else, then I think it makes them hard hard, hard to. To, to back so I think it's yeah it's it's being confident but also you know trying to trying to establish a conversation not a pitch if, if you're in a pitch then then it's wrong I think usually we we, in, we invest in people who we feel we've had a, a bit of a pitch but then a good conversation with and how do you feel about persistence yeah, being being persistent is is good. Uh, um, be careful. <laughs> being persistent is you know I. Uh, I Obviously, when you're building a startup, you're going to have to run through a lot more walls and a lot bigger and higher and thicker walls than, than just raising the VC funding. So I think being persistent is good um, with, with limits. With limits, right. Okay, I don't want to get too... I know what you mean as far as that. Um, you know, Ben, we always ask everyone that comes on the show a few questions at the end, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you uh, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Ben Holmes and give uh, that young man a bit of advice, uh, what would you tell him? to do i actually think um I, I mean i love the job that i'm doing but i actually think uh, if if i if i could have replayed my life from when i was 20 i probably would have actually invested more i actually studied engineering but would have actually uh, uh spent more time actually learning to code and develop and and i think i i i might have been able to be successful in 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 that in that um in that vein, I think being being a VC is the second best job in the world, and being an entrepreneur is is the first. And, and they, those are really the guys who are changing the world, not the VCs. So, um, and I think in terms of in terms of uh, how the world is changing, I've got young kids, and I think the advice that uh, that I'd have to them is, you know, the only uh, the only the only way they can guarantee that they're always going to have a job is to be an entrepreneur. Because uh, so I think I think uh, that's that's when I think about them, that's definitely the skills and, and traits I'm trying to help them develop. It's like what Rich Dad Poor Dad says, you know, mm, yeah, you know, make, make sure, yeah, you're not just trying to work for someone else, but you know, yeah, you're right. kind of creating value. Um, best advice you've ever received, business or personal? Oof. It's always a tough one. Yeah. Um, Any VC advice from senior people when you first started off at Index? Uh, well, Danny Reimer, he was the f- he he took me in at Index when I when I first, uh, you know, it was just two of us in in a basement in London, and um, he was a fantastic fantastic guy to work with, and he used to have loads and loads of quotes uh, from a guy called Jim Jim Barksdale, uh, and then you can actually read a series of his quotes. But uh, I think the one that I like involves a snake, some, something around if you if you see a snake. Uh, kill it and don't touch never touch dead snakes and the last bit of it is you know great ideas or whatever it is always look like dead snakes so so i think what what he what he was trying to trying to uh, get across was i think it's really it's really important that when when you have when you have an argument or when you have a disagreement make sure you park it put it behind you uh, and, and move on but always at the back of your mind you've got to be you've got to be testing the status quo and and thinking about thinking about just because something was agreed in the past 
a little bit of your mind's always got to be questioning that and thinking, thinking, did you do the right thing? So uh, uh, that one stuck with me. I probably misquoted it, but uh, uh, that was a good bit of advice. It's tricky because you're looking for the next great idea. But if you look at all the great ideas, they didn't look like great ideas at the time. Google was the 12th search engine. You know, Airbnb sounded like the most ridiculous thing ever. And, like, you know, so you have to be looking for the great idea, but know that it could be disguised as a bad idea, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and uh, yeah, many of the, as you say, many of the very, very best companies uh, uh, had to change and pivot a lot before they found that success. Um, you know, Ben, we could sit here and ask you more questions for an hour, but I think we got the meat of it, right? Absolutely. I think anyone listening will now uh, have a bit more of a feel as far as what you go through. And I was surprised to hear that, you know, you end up having to be a really personable you know, guy because I didn't think that's what would matter. But it makes sense. You know, yeah. and the yeah. fact that you're in competition, you just you think of all these top VCs and you think that you're the one choosing. But ultimately, I guess if it's a good deal, you, you should be competing. If you're not competing, I guess you're worried. It, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're the only one. It's like, oh, that's a bad snake. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, can they email you directly? Absolutely, Twitter, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So, so I, I'm on Twitter. I'm a, 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 not a prolific tweeter, but Index Ben occasionally uh, uh, put stuff out there and, and we blog at indexventures.com. And yeah, you can always reach me at benh at indexventures.com. And, and, you know, we get a lot of emails. So please uh, don't be afraid if I've not, you know, the one sad thing about this job is that, you know, stuff does slip between the cracks. And it may be that people perceive that I've been rude or haven't got back to them. Uh, and if that's the case, I apologize in advance. But please just keep emailing and calling and, and would love to meet almost all entrepreneurs I can. Um, that's, the, that's the pleasure of this job. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, IndexVentures.com, excellent website. It's got bios, great blogs, 1,800 jobs up there. Seriously, you can go on and look and look at all your portfolio companies all over the world. You can search by city. I don't know, very well put together. So um, that's so impressive. Um, I don't know, Colin, what, what do we say? That was that great. Was, that I was can great sit here insight. for an hour, yeah. So I know, and ask more questions. Hour, yeah. I know. So, uh, well, the, if you're out there and you have an idea, um, uh, check it out, IndexVentures. Uh, email Ben, but like you said, find the right partner and, and do it the right way with a relationship. No one likes to be shotgunned, including Mike Butcher from TechCrunch, yeah. or even us at Silicon Real. We don't like to be shotgunned. We like people to kind of pitch us with good ideas. and Do a bit of research. Yeah, do a bit of research. <laughs> so if you're listening to us on iTunes, you can come see us, uh, our beautiful faces on our channel on YouTube. And uh, what can I say? We've got uh, Uber next week and a lot of more exciting companies coming up. Uh, as we say on uh, Silicon Real, it's about the people, which is kind of what he said, right? Yeah. Be a good person. Be a good person. And uh, thanks so much, Ben. All the best. It's such an exciting story. I love that, that you guys are having successes and still being humble. So uh, thanks so much for coming. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. It is purely about the artist creating artworks that only exist in this digital form that are for your devices. You've got some incredible artists based here and you've got some of the world's biggest collectors here. You can collect it, you can enjoy it, you can display it, you know, you can have it on your wall or you can have it on your phone if you're at a dinner party and just wanted to show somebody something you bought for your collection. But also you can resell it. People do business with you for three reasons, because they like you, because they trust you and because they believe that you can deliver 